Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. I'm excited you joined us today. In the midst of this holiday season, I want you to know how grateful I am for you. I hope this season is a season of joy and giving for you. And it's in that spirit that we do this podcast to help us all open our eyes to our potential and the good things in store for us in the future. This podcast was born from a deep desire to share a new perspective, a few suggestions to help us see what we might not otherwise see. So hopefully today, in this time together, we will get a new perspective of how to think and live better. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about how we can face, ride, and be shaped by the waves in life. In places around the globe, giant waves occur regularly, and they can be as tall as 85 feet. Nuzaire, Portugal, is home to the biggest waves and surfers who chase those giant waves. At Nuzaire, just offshore, there is an abrupt underground canyon that is three miles deep and 125 miles long. The abrupt canyon wall refracts a deep part of a swell back into the greater swell, creating a collision that drives the water upward in a tremendous pyramid-shaped peak that finally breaks as a wave thundering down along the shoreline. There against the underwater canyon, a 15-foot swell might produce an 80-foot wave. And similar variations occur at Jaws off Maui, Mavericks in Northern California, and Tihupu on Tahiti. The biggest waves are helped by winds hundreds of miles away, which create fast-moving ocean swells that magnify the effect when those waves come ashore. Well, at Nazaire, not long ago, giant wave surfer Rodrigo Coxa, a Brazilian surfer, was at Nazaire waiting for a big wave. Coxa and his Sea-Doo pilot Surio Cosme circled outside the waves for an hour and a half. Finally, Cosme hollered, big set coming. Coxa knew that the stiff offshore breeze would make the first wave extremely bumpy, so he held back. The surface of the second wave was cleaner. Then came the third wave. It was smooth, glassy, and beautiful, Coxa says. It was so huge, but I didn't want to look again because if I did, maybe I wouldn't want to go. Cosme towed Coxa to the apex of the wave, which was carrying perhaps a billion watts of power. When Coxa let go of the tow rope seven stories up, he reminded himself of his mantra, you gotta go straight down. At that point, he says, I'm just running for my life. So much energy. I've never gone so fast on a surfboard. Then suddenly I'm in the shallow of the wave. I felt the blackness around me, but I have enough speed I think I'm going to outrun it, and I do. Oh my gosh, I just got the wave of my life. That ride turned out to be a new world record. The wave was 80 feet from trough to crest. But the stories of successful rides on giant waves are often less common than falls. Too often, surfers are injured falling in massive plunges to the ocean and being slammed underwater into the rocky ocean floor. A few months ago, Andrew Cotton, a British surfer, broke his back at Nuzaire. On a big wave pursuit, another surfer got his ankle rope entangled in the ocean floor and drowned. Earlier this year, another famed Brazilian surfer, Marcio Freire, died while surfing on Nuzaire. 
Marcio was unique in the surfing world. He had no sponsors, made little if no money from the sport. He called himself a soul surfer. Marcio, age 47, had starred in Mad Dogs, a 2016 documentary about his attempt with two other Brazilian surfers to conquer the giant wave Jaws in Hawaii. He died after falling while toe-in surfing, a technique that involves a surfer being pulled into giant waves, usually by a jet ski. Although rescuers managed to get him back to the beach by jet ski, they said all attempts to resuscitate him failed. So, you have to ask yourself, if the giant waves can kill you or injure you, why take on a giant wave? Surf straight down at speeds of 50 miles an hour and risk falling 50 or 60 feet, risk being turned and tumbled in the water like a rag in a washing machine, and put your life at risk each time you surf. Why take on the biggest waves? Well, you and I may not take on the biggest waves in the world, but we do take on life's swells and collapsing waves all the time. A cancer diagnosis, a loss of a friend or family member, financial struggles, and so many other waves come along in our life. And sometimes, even worse, is the mental and emotional waves that come our way from disappointment. And getting on top of these hardships and struggles isn't easy. I know many of you listening to this call have had disappointments recently in your life, your business, and your attempts of late. And I know that disappointment can be debilitating. It makes you not want to try and robs you of your confidence. And as a result, you lead and live less than your potential and forego getting atop the giant waves that can propel you to new places. But there is hope. There are a few keys to weathering the storm and rising above the waves that crash into our life. First, take a lesson from the world record giant wave female surfer, Lara Evener. In January of this year, Lara was in Hawaii attempting to set a record for the biggest wave ever ridden by a paddling surfer. Paddling in requires the surfers to enter waves unassisted, compared to being towed in by a jet ski in order to access the biggest breaks. You see, when a big wave comes in, they come in with such force and speed that a surfer who is paddling on their own usually can't get enough speed to crest the wave in order to surf it. That is why the biggest waves are ridden by surfers being catapulted to higher speeds and pulled by a ski-doo or wave runner. But paddling in requires surfers to enter waves unassisted compared to being towed in by a jet ski. But this day in Hawaii, Lara was on her own. She said, I knew the wave was big when I paddled into it. And then when I took off, I looked down and I knew it was definitely the biggest wave I had ever caught. It's one thing to catch a wave, but an entirely different thing to ride it. You know, you may be attempting something big in your life, starting or restarting a business, overcoming a habit, a new job, or dealing with a new challenge, or dealing with the wave of your life that just came along, whatever it may be. Learn from Laura. Here's what happened in her words. I knew it was the wave of my life. The whole way it came together and the way I committed, backed myself, told myself to go and trusted I could do it. The ride was such a breakthrough for me and a moment that will be really special and monumental in my surfing career. Lara paddle surfed a 44-foot wave, a women's world record. Now, the overall largest wave surfed by a paddler was set by Aaron Gold, 
a 63-foot wave off the coast of Hawaii. So, here's the thing. Did you hear what Lara did when she got atop that big wave? She looked down, and she was afraid, but she committed. She backed herself using her words and told herself to trust that she could do it. Oftentimes, when we go through a disappointment, the first thing that leaves us is trust in ourselves. The next is our commitment. And it can be difficult to trust in ourselves when we've let ourselves down before. You know, when I was younger, I went exploring in caves near my home with my friends. In one cave, after we entered, everyone shut off their headlamps, and it shocked me how dark it was. It was pitch black. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. Then one friend started a flame on a cigarette lighter that he was carrying, and I was surprised how a small light could dispel so much darkness. Disappointment without trust in yourself is similar to sinking into darkness, to a dark pit, a pit of discouragement, of anger, of even self-pity. And there's nothing worse than sitting around in a half-dark room feeling sorry for yourself. But even a little bit of faith in yourself can light up the darkness around you. Even a little bit of faith in others does the same thing. You know, in the scripture, there's one of my favorite stories. Joseph was the oldest son of Rachel and Jacob. Jacob's other name was Israel. Because Jacob loved Rachel most, he also loved Joseph most among all his 12 sons. And because Joseph was the favorite, his other brothers were angry with him and jealous. The brother's jealousy is compounded by Joseph's dreams, which suggests that he is destined to rule over them. Well, to stop this from happening, they try to kill him or at least get rid of him by throwing him down into a pit before changing their minds and selling him as a slave to some passing Ishmaelites. To hide what they've done, Joseph's brothers and the wives tell Jacob that his beloved son has been killed, and as proof, they show him Jacob's coat, which they have torn in pieces and covered in goat's blood. Now, I always tried to imagine how I would feel if I were Joseph. Here you were, part of a great family or team, but your friends and family have turned on you. The future you thought was certain is gone and you're in darkness, in a pit. I felt this way at times in my life. What you thought would happen, didn't. What you wish you would have done, you couldn't. And you're left with a sinking feeling, wondering if you can get out of the dark gloom that you're in. If this has ever happened to you, learn from Joseph. He was taken by his captives to Egypt, where he is bought as a slave by the wealthy Potiphar. Joseph works hard and is promoted, eventually running the household. Joseph catches the eye of Mrs. Potiphar, and although he turns down her advances, Potiphar is angry at the false accusations of his wife against Joseph and throws Joseph in jail. Now Joseph has moved from being in a pit to being falsely accused and now being in jail. Not much better. Now two prisoners, both former servants of the Pharaoh, are in jail with Joseph. While there, Joseph interprets their strange dreams and predicts one servant will return to Pharaoh's service, while the other will be executed. Both come to pass. In the meantime, Pharaoh of Egypt is plagued by dreams that no one can interpret. The servant, now freed from jail, tells Pharaoh Joseph can interpret dreams, and Joseph is called to interpret those dreams and soon becomes the second in command in Egypt. When a famine comes to the land, Joseph is in position to save his brothers who threw him into the pit and their families. And Joseph does exactly that. 
While at first in a pit and second in prison, Joseph's life may have seemed dark and not on track with his birthright. But while the wave after wave of disappointment or even discouragement came along in his life, God was actually using those circumstances to bring Joseph to where he was supposed to be to do what he was called to do. Here's the point. When things are darkest, when you're afraid of your future, when you are afraid you can't improve, overcome, rise, or change, stay in the game. Have faith. God's path for your life, like Joseph's, may be winding and not clear at times, but that path is likely designed to help you become the best you can be. And you just might be in the challenge you're in today so you can rise to new places in life. So do it afraid. Try without clarity. Keep doing what you know you can and should do, and you will find that God, people, friends, and yourself can help you out of the pit that you're in. Not long ago, People Magazine stopped by to do a story on the Morales family. Jessica, her husband Danny, and their two children gave the magazine reporters a look into their life. You see, Jessica almost lost her life as a young toddler. She said, had I not survived, none of this, pointing to her home and family, would ever have been. Jessica's parents were Sissy and Chip McClure. They lived in Midland, Texas. The McClures had fallen on hard times because the oil crisis in the late 1980s had shut down most of the oil wells in Texas. The first 18 months of baby Jessica's life passed like any other baby in their small Texas town. Then on the morning of Wednesday, October 14th, she suddenly became the most famous child in the country. Jessica's aunt, Jamie Moore, ran a daycare center out of their home where that morning Jessica was playing with four other children in the backyard under the supervision of her mother, Sissy, who made the unfortunate choice to run inside to answer a phone call, leaving the children momentarily unattended. Minutes later, she heard the kids screaming and rushed back outside to find that her daughter had disappeared. She searched frantically but couldn't find her. Then she heard her crying baby from somewhere in the ground. What she discovered was baby Jessica had fallen into an eight-inch diameter well, a pipe, and became trapped far underground. Her first thought was, how did her baby fall into such a narrow pipe? And how far down had she fallen? Well, how she fell into the well remains a mystery even today. According to her mother, the opening had been covered by a heavy rock to prevent such an accident. I didn't know what to do, Sissy later recalled. I just ran in and called the police. And they were there within three minutes, but it felt like a lifetime. What they soon learned was baby Jessica was trapped 22 feet below ground. And she was stuck in the well with one leg pinned up against her chest and face and the other pointing downward, indicating that she stepped into the well with one leg and fell straight down. The town went to work pumping oxygen in the pipe, trying to find ways to keep her warm, and most of all, figuring out how to get to her and keep her from sinking further into the ground. They couldn't dig with a backhoe for fear the pipe would collapse or the movement of the well would cause her to fall further underground. And because she had fallen so deep in the earth, they were dealing with layers of rock harder than granite. Well, using a large rat hole digger, a machine normally used to dig different diameter holes for drilling well equipment, the rescue teams drilled a 30-inch wide, 29-foot deep hole parallel to the well. If the accident had occurred anywhere but in oil country, the rat hole digger may not have been available. 
The crews then began to do the difficult process of drilling a horizontal tunnel between the two wells about two feet below where baby Jessica was trapped. The problem was it took an extremely long time to do this. By the time they drilled the parallel hole, Jessica had been in the well for over 50 hours. She had stopped crying and making sounds. In fact, they heard nothing from her at all for the last several hours. The entire rescue ordeal was covered live on CNN. This was the second time in American history that the entire nation watched around the clock as a dramatic news story unfolded. The first time was the explosion of the space shuttle Challenger. Well, with a parallel tunnel dug and the connecting tunnel ready, Paramedic Robert O'Donnell inched his way 22 feet down the 30-inch hole and reached through the connecting tunnel and wrestled Jessica free from her position pinned inside the well, and he brought her up to safety. Jessica lost a toe due to gangrene, and she still has a scar on her forehead, but she's grateful for the gift of life, and she and her family have received millions in donations and support. Here's the point. You and I may have fallen, and we may see no way out, but there is a parallel tunnel right next to us, and it descends below us, and God and others who are there can help us find our way up and out of the pit that we're in. Remember, a parallel tunnel where the Lord, who understands our grief and pain because he's traveled the same path, has provided an escape from whatever trial you are dealing with today. Now, we may fall, we may fear, things may seem impossible, but there's always a way. It may take 50 hours or 50 days or even 50 months, but God will not leave you in the dark. He sees into the darkest pits and can help us when we need it most. Now, we pray for God to help us out of places that we don't want to be in, but to be honest, it's not all about prayer. I found many times when we pray, the answer is something that we need to do. And it's up to us to do that thing. It's up to us to put our fear aside and follow the course before us. But doing that thing takes courage and stepping way out of our comfort zone at times. You see, growth rarely comes from comfort and almost always comes from doing what we know we can and should do. Do the thing you fear to do and keep on doing it. That is the quickest and surest way to conquer fear and to rise. You know, sometimes we ask God to deliver us from a problem that we continue to behave ourselves into. So it's very important that we realize we need to change to get out of the pit that we're in. And as Joyce Meyer once said, sometimes the simple answer on how to get out of a pit is to just climb out. Get up and climb out. The truth is one of the hardest lessons in life is to let go of the past and forgive yourself and forgive others and move on. Because when you finally let go of the past, something better comes along. On Halloween morning a few years back, Bethany went with her best friend and her family to Tunnel Beach. It's off the island of Kauai in Hawaii. Tunnel Beach is a beautiful beach and a perfect place for many of the locals to surf. This surf spot at the end of the road on the North Shore gets its name from the circular shape of the waves and because it's really fast and shoots you out like an exploding cannon. It's for experts only. Well, it was still dark when they arrived about 6.40 a.m. The water was full of turtles and the water was glassy and the waves perfect. 
Bethany was only 13 years old, but she'd been surfing most of her life, having grown up in Hawaii. They'd been surfing about a half an hour, no spectacular waves that day. Alana and her brother were floating about 15 feet from Bethany when Bethany saw a dark shape in the water out of the corner of her eye. She barely had time to recognize the rolled back eyes, the triangle-shaped teeth, and the sandpaper-like skin. Then a tug and immense pressure on her right arm. In a matter of seconds, the sharp serrated teeth of a 14-foot shark had severed her arm just below the shoulder, taking not only her arm, but a large portion of the surfboard as well. Her only thought was, get to the beach. And with a severed artery, the blood was pouring into the water. Alana's brother told her to hold on to his shorts, and he began paddling, forgetting the danger of the lurking shark. On shore, Alana's dad put on a tourniquet. With so much blood loss, Bethany barely survived. Well, after days of battling, she began to accept life without her arm. What she immediately noticed was what the experts call phantom pain. It means that she feels pain in her fingers, hand, and wrist, even though her arm is missing. I find this particularly interesting that your nerves have residual memory enough to signal to your brain the sensation of pain. And she says she still has it to this day. Have you ever lost something or just lost or let yourself down or failed? And still to this day, you carry the residual, the leftover negativity, the pain, the fear? I have. Afraid to try again because you couldn't before? Afraid that you won't because you didn't before? This is not unusual. Residual pain happens to all of us, but there's so much power in trying again. Now, the biggest challenge for Bethany was that not long after the accident, she went to watch her friends surf. She said as she sat there and watched the waves roll in and her surfing team catching the waves, something stirred inside her. She said it was a realization. She knew what she was meant to do. And despite the fear of the dark shapes in the water, despite the uncertainty of a shark bite, and despite her fears of the past, she grabbed a longboard and went back into the water. Thirteen months later, she entered a major competition, and a year after that, she won the Teenage World Championships. It takes courage to get back in the water, to tackle the waves and the sharks, and to risk the same hurt that you felt before, especially when you may fail again. Now, Bethany today has scars, but she's beautifully strong with one arm, and she doesn't have two hands to grab the sides of her board to easily boost herself up to a standing position. Rather, she must place one hand in the center of the board to push herself up with one arm. Now, if any of you have surfed, this seems almost impossible, but she does it all the time. This is how facing the wave will give you strength needed to overcome. Get back in the water. Yes. Your business hasn't started like you wanted. Your exercise plan didn't get off to the right start. You lost your cool with your kids. Yes, you may have lost something of great value because of your poor judgment, but don't quit. Get back in the water. We are what we repeatedly do, so keep doing, even when you feel like you're losing. Because when you stay in the fight, when you re-enlist, when you try, you change yourself and you change history. In today's age of instant everything, we've got to learn the virtue of patience. In the face of deep disappointment, we tend to become too discouraged too soon. There may be something we need to learn that hasn't sunk in, or maybe we should complain less and listen more. But one plain fact of life is 
that we often think deeper and learn faster when we hurt. It sometimes takes a little hurt to turn our minds and spirits into the sponges required to absorb the things waiting for us to learn and grow. You know, the most significant thing I learned from my failings, and I have many, is that I am now naturally more patient with others who have the same failings. What a gift to feel true empathy and love for others like me. I've also learned not to expect perfection. One great author once said, patience is a willingness, in a sense, to watch the unfolding purposes of life with a sense of wonder and awe, rather than pacing up and down within the cell of our circumstance. Patience stoutly resists pulling up the daisies to see how the roots are doing. Patience is not a fatalistic resignation. It is accepting a divine rhythm to life and trying and trying again. Blessings will come into your life when you don't quit. Try. Re-enlist in the cause. You have an opportunity that others don't have. And who knows if you aren't here for just a time as this. Grab your longboard. The joy of being in the surf far outweighs the fear of failing again. And you will fail. Just ask Mike Coots. When Mike was 18, he was surfing off the coast of Kauai, and he was waiting for a wave with his hands paddling in the water. A tiger shark shot out of the water and locked his jaws onto Mike's legs. As he tried to pry himself free, the shark bit down harder, shaking its head back and forth and tossing Mike around like a rag doll. Mike followed his instinct. He punched the shark in the face again and again, which is what the experts recommend to do, until the shark released him. As Mike swam back to shore, he felt his lower right leg spasming, and when he looked down, he realized it was gone. The shark had bit his lower leg off. Mike's friends rushed to his aid, and one of them fashioned a tourniquet out of the leash from his board, and the doctors later told Mike that probably saved his life. There had been no splashing in the water, no noise, no dorsal fin, and Mike felt no pain, only immense pressure on his lower body. At the hospital, the doctors told him he would have to live with a prosthetic leg. Mike simply said, cool, that means I can surf again. And as soon as Mike was given the okay by his doctors, he did what many of us might consider unthinkable. He started riding the waves again. In fact, his first time back was near the site of his attack. But Mike was unshaken. Instead, he was curious. Why was he attacked? Was it because of the tides, the phase of the moon? Mike also recalled that the morning of the attack, the water had smelled fishy. Was that what attracted the shark? Well, his curiosity led him to research sharks. And Mike also discovered how much he loved photography. And since he has become a professional, he's surfing again. Surfing with a prosthetic has been challenging, but it has stretched his creativity trying to create a prosthetic with the right materials and shapes to help him optimize his ability to surf. Well, Mike has a full life, a rich life, that likely he wouldn't have had without the shark attack. And Mike did something few people do. He didn't hesitate. He simply got back on the waves again. He spent little time lamenting or worrying. He embraced the challenge and faced the waves. As someone once said, once you've made up your mind, don't be afraid to face reality. And remember, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. And don't stop trying just because the waves keep coming. Progress is progress no matter how small. 
Oftentimes, the answer is simple. Just keep trying. Small, healthy choices, small, good choices will, over time, calm the waves and allow you to face just about anything. The scripture in Jeremiah says, Do not fear, declares the Lord, for I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea. Though the waves toss, yet they cannot prevail. There are boundaries to the waves that roll into your life, and we can face them knowing they cannot prevail. So, as we end today, remember Laura, who got atop the big wave and looked down and despite her fear, fully committed, backed herself using her words and told herself to trust that she could do it. Trust in yourself and God to see you through. Remember Jesse McClure. There is a parallel tunnel next to the pit that you're in. And next to you, God and people are there helping you out. Have faith. And remember Bethany and Mike and get your longboard in life and get back in the water. That is where you will find happiness. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.